A reading from Luke. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does, who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels, who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told that what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Hi everybody. This morning we're going to go for a little walk with Jesus. In Luke's Gospel, it's a seven-mile walk down the road from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. But for us, it might be the walk of these past seven Sundays of our not being able to be together or gather for church. Or these past seven weeks of not being able to be around people for most anything else. It could be the lengthening walk of days without your being able to see your grandchildren or your friends at school, or your yoga class, or to just go out for a beer with your co-workers, or to visit a spouse or a parent in a care facility. It could be the anxious walk of missed paychecks and past due bills, with no clear sign of when the money might start coming in again. And these days, for us, even if it's a walk with a visible and trusted friend, instead of walking shoulder to shoulder, we still have to shout to one another from at least six feet away. 
In other words, this morning's walk with Jesus is not a casual and idle stroll. It's the kind of walk you take with a friend because something's gotten hard. Something's troubling you and you need to talk it through. Today's gospel story reminds us, first of all, that life itself, in all of its aspects and in all of its days and circumstances, easy or hard, is a walk, a journey, a journey with Jesus. It may be a journey in which we don't see Jesus or aren't consciously aware at every moment or even for very many moments, for that matter, that Jesus is walking beside us, but this story reminds us that he's there. And it also tells us that it's not just any Jesus who walks with us, but the crucified and risen Jesus, the this side of Easter Jesus, the victorious over death Jesus, the Jesus who not only shared our pain, bore our sin, and died our death, but who was raised on the third day and now reigns as Lord of all. So that's the first thing about this walk. Whenever two people walk down a troubling, sad, or lonely road, Luke tells us that the risen Jesus is there, right in the midst of us. Then, I also want you to notice that of the three people in this gospel walk this morning, we know that one of them is named Cleopas, and another as Luke tells us right away, even though it takes much longer for the other two to realize it, is Jesus. But the third person in this story never gets a name at all. In fact, we don't even know if it was a man or a woman. So probably Luke wants us to give our name to that third walker. On our walk today, it's Cleopas, Jesus, and Dan. Or it's Cleopas, Jesus, and you. And Jesus is the one who gets the conversation started. He says, what's up? What are you guys talking about today? What's got you looking so sad? And even though he doesn't know it's Jesus, Cleopas gives voice to what is perhaps the greatest hindrance to prayer for many people. He says, how can you be the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened this weekend? Even though he doesn't know it's Jesus at that point. In other words, he's saying, why do I need to tell Jesus what's going on in my life and world? Doesn't he know already? Isn't that what all knowing means? Which makes Jesus' next response so perfect and so beautiful. Jesus, in effect, plays dumb. Jesus pretends he doesn't know anything so that they can give voice to their sad sorrow. What things, he says, tell me about it. And so they do. They give Jesus all the facts, accurate and true, everything that happened to their mighty prophet friend, his powerful words and deeds, how he was arrested, condemned and crucified. And then they speak the four saddest words, most painful words of their journey. But we had hoped, they said. For them it was, but we had hoped he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. 
You see, when bad things happen, it's bad enough. But when hope is taken away, when hopes die, when hope can only be expressed in the past tense, as something we had, but now have lost, then sadness turns into despair. So I wonder this morning, what's that like for you on your journey now? But we had hoped this virus would go away by late April. But we had hoped those who predicted thousands of people dying every day would be wrong. But we had hoped the tumor would turn out to be benign. But we had hoped the most recent test would reveal no new concerns. But we had hoped spending so much time together would have brought us closer together as a couple or as a family. But we had hoped we could still have a prom or a graduation or a soccer season. But I had hoped that my last few months as your pastor would be so much more carefree and happy time. But I had hoped that the driver pulling out of Val's parking lot would have seen me in the crosswalk with my red jacket on before hitting the gas. You see, words like, but I had hoped, but we had hoped, express more than sadness over an event or a reality, but an even deeper sadness of loss. Lost trust, maybe, in how the world works, maybe how God manages it mostly in how little control we have over what happens. And after Cleopas and you and me tell the still unrecognized Jesus about our lost hopes, Luke then has us begin to tell him the Easter story. Again, with all the facts listed and accurate, but surprisingly empty of any reality or power. It's been three days since he was crucified, we say, some women went to the tomb, couldn't find his body, we say. They told us that an angel had appeared and told them he was alive. Others went and found the tomb empty, just as they had said. It's no wonder, really, that Jesus then calls them foolish and slow-hearted. All the pieces are there. Those pieces just need to be moved from their heads to their hearts from what others say to what they know and believe. So Jesus then does what every preacher hopes to do every time he or she opens their mouth. He takes the events in the life of his congregation of two travelers, the stories they have told him, the hopes that they have lost, and he tells it right back to them as part of a much bigger story. The story of God and God's people that goes all the way back to Moses and up through the prophets, including everything that happened to him, complete with hopes lifted high and dashed low again and again only to be reborn. Jesus ties their lives to God's life, their sorrows over lost hopes to God's sorrow over a broken and lost creation their sense that things are not as they should be to God's desire and passion for a world made new. And while those travelers don't mention it until nearer the end of the story, 
It is right then, as Jesus tells them that bigger story, that their hearts catch fire, that hope is reborn within them, and when Easter itself becomes real to them. Telling their story to Jesus, and then hearing him tell it back to them as God's story, is what turned a sad first day of the week into a glorious Easter evening. Now, most every time that I have preached on this story in the past, I have been eager, perhaps too eager, to get to the meal at the end of the story and to focus my attention on how those walkers finally came to recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And I would do that so that I could then invite all of you to likewise see Jesus in the bread we break and the cup we share in Holy Communion. But today, we can't physically come to that table together. I can't hand you a piece of bread through this camera. And I can't tell you that it's the body of Christ or offer you the cup of salvation. So maybe that's why this year I am drawn more to that long walk and talk that comes before the meal and to noticing how the travelers' hearts burned at Jesus' words long before they sat down together at a table and how it was at that very same instant that their eyes were opened to see that it really was and had always been Jesus walking beside them all that seven-mile way just at that very instant of recognition, he was gone. He vanished from their sight, Luke says. Now we Lutherans, along with other sacramental Christians, insist that the risen Christ is truly physically present in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. But for us, it's not so much a matter of degree of presence, that he's more present there than anywhere else, but of purpose. Martin Luther himself liked to say that Christ was no more present in the sacrament than he was in his cabbage soup. But the difference was that in communion, Christ was present for a specific and promised purpose. For us, for the forgiveness of our sins, to feed us his new and eternal life. Mark Allen Powell, professor of New Testament at Trinity Lutheran Seminary in Columbus, Ohio, says that one purpose of communion is to feed our impatience for Christ's presence, to simultaneously remind us of our Lord's absence as well as of his presence, allowing us to experience just enough of his presence in that small piece of bread and sip of wine to increase the longing in our souls for the full promised feast of heaven. I like that. And today, I think that's pretty much what Luke was describing when he said that at that very instant that the disciples recognized Jesus in their midst, he vanished from their sight. In the flow of our usual Sunday liturgy, the word drives us to the meal. The connecting of our stories with God's bigger unfolding story invites us to a meal that feeds the fire that the word has already created in our hearts and then makes us long for more. So, maybe this would be a good week to take a good long walk with a friend, to talk about what's up with you, to share the sadness of hopes that have died,
and to listen to them share the same. Then, maybe with your Bibles open, or just remembering some of the stories you can talk together about how your lives seem to fit into that old, old story of Moses and the prophets and Jesus and his love. You might have to do it six feet apart in order to be safe. And unless you go get takeout somewhere and eat outdoors, you probably can't end your journey with a meal together. But whether he's visible to your eyes or not, in that space between you and your friend, I invite you to picture Jesus there with you, the crucified and risen Jesus, for you and with you always to the end of your journey. Safe travels, my friends. Christ walks with you. Amen.